Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Freeman Means Business Wonder Women in Business podcast, where we invite guests on to tell their unique stories. These women shine and give permission to others to shine as well. Tune in to Freeman Means Business on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and Radio Public for our great episodes. Today's amazing guest is a really good friend of mine. Her name is Brenda Pontiff, and she works at Horvitz and Levy. Brenda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for coming today. So tell me, um, tell me a little bit about your background, how you got to where you are. Um, people are going to recognize your Southern accent, which I love. So if you want to that, you can. Uh, yes, you and I have that in common. Uh, I, my father was from New Orleans, my mother from Mississippi, and I was born and raised in Texas. So I am still uh, Southern, even though people don't consider Texans always to be from the South. But when you have Southern parents, you are from the South. So uh, from Texas and have lived in Los Angeles for about 26 years, so I am now a Californian, and I am currently the Director of Business Development, Diversity, and Inclusion at Horvitz and Levy, the nation's largest appellate law firm. And I came to law firm business development by way of sales for a global law firm, Vincent and Elkins, based in Houston. That was my first job out of graduate school. And I was tasked with selling a slice of work to uh, water district council, uh, water district clients who had been using the firm for bond and general counsel work. And I was selling an additional slice of work. Um, that was really rare for the late 80s. Uh, to even use the word sales in association with law firms. And this is before we even had a marketing department at Benson and Elkins. So I, I uh, so progressive. Wow. wow. Yeah. Uh, completely different background. I think from most people in law firm marketing, because I had come from a sales standpoint from the get go. So and, Randall, you know this, I'm a BD person as well. And I used to be a salesperson as well. And I think that is critical to success. And I think that is amazing that they were forward thinking enough to, to hire a salesperson back in that day. And still today you see firms do not do that. And I think they should, I think it's a great practice. Well, I had a very innovative boss. <laughs> My boss was, uh, he, I think he wrote the Texas Water Code and was uh, forward thinking and saw this as an opportunity. And he was very much uh, client focused. In other words, really thinking about services that we could provide clients and improving service delivery, all of those things that I think are important, uh, more so than what a lot of law firms focus on, and that is visibility. And um, he was already famous, so he didn't have to worry about visibility. He was focused on, uh, you know, providing, providing the right service for the right client. That's awesome. So to hear you say that, to know that there's a lawyer out there who <laughs> recognizes that is amazing. Yeah, so, so, yes. so many lawyers love to see their name in headlights, but don't realize that's just the beginning of a long journey. Um, if yes. I choose, you know, if you're stranded on an island and you'd rather engage in marketing or business development, how would, you know, what would you do? I would engage in business development, building those relationships and learning more about the business and industry of my client and prospect and uh, showing them that I can heal their pain or solve their problems. I think that's amazing. You're terrific. You're terrific. Thank you. Thank so you. Tell me, what, um, what do you do when you're not working? And then we'll swing back to work 
after that question? Well, uh, lately I have gotten back into uh, one of my first loves, which is stand-up comedy. And uh, I, uh, I have a theater background. Um, I have a couple of okay, degrees okay, in right. theater. Hold on, hold on. In case people didn't hear you say that, would, I love that about you. So would you, <laughs> did you hear what you said, folks? Say that again. What do you do when you're not working? I am dabbling again in stand-up comedy. Bravo. So I was a comic for many years. When I was working at Vincent and Elkins, I was simultaneously developing my stand-up skills at a club called uh, the Comedy Workshop in Houston, Texas. And I was a regular there, so I could go up pretty much every night. We also had five other clubs in that city. And so I could work at the local punchline, the laugh stop, the comedy showcase. Uh, and it was just a wonderful place to begin your career. And when I auditioned for the improv in the early 90s uh, and made New Face, that's when I decided that I needed to move and come out to L.A. And so for a couple of years, I didn't do anything else but stand up here in L.A. I mean, I did a little bit of paralegal work, but uh, I was mostly, you know, trying to make it as an actress and a stand-up comic. And I did not go up for 14 years in the I guess it was uh, around 1999 or 2000 that I quit altogether because my jobs were getting very involved and I became a you know business development executive at Deloitte and then at Ernst & Young and was traveling all over the world and really could not pursue stand-up anymore. So I didn't go up for 14 years and then was in Houston in 2014. A couple of old comic friends talking and going back up on stage and doing just a little three-minute set, and I was kind of nervous about it, uh, but they were like, oh, it's like riding a bike, you know, you'll never forget, and I'm like, yeah, but if you haven't ridden a bike in 14 years, it's going to hurt, so, <laughs> but I got up, and I did it, and I realized how much I loved it, and how I had missed it, and so now, um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have a lot of great relation to business, and up at a couple of clubs in town like I'll go up at the and there's a couple of open mics that I have good friends uh, uh, involved with and so I I'm going up about you know once uh, every two weeks now and I love it and you know, it's better now than it was when I was younger because I'm not worried about my financial future anymore you know right I think that was one of the things yeah it was scary when you're young and you know you uh, you know you throw it all away just to pursue this dream and every day you wake up worried about you know how am I going to make a living and um, when you move to LA it's very hard to make a living as a stand-up because there's like 4,000 other stand-ups and you're very lucky to get like big bucks um, and then of course you know Hopefully you'll get on TV or, you know, you'll, you'll get your own sitcom or whatever. But that, that happens to so few people. Well, I and, will say um, that um, it's liberating, I think, to be able to do something you love in addition to that which you must do. You know, so there's something that pays the bills and then something that fills your heart. So I think that's great that you were able to. Yes. That's terrific. Yeah, I, I, terrific. I do love it. And I, and I see similarities in the two professions, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me. What do you mean? Well, well, I do. Well, what, you know, I know one of your themes is, is, is that women should lift other women up. And I will say that 
you know, it was highly competitive for women in stand-up comedy in the 90s because the, the way women looked at it was there's only one slice of pie for me. And I've got to grab that slice. Whereas the men comics, I think, felt like, hey, the world's going to bake more pie and I'm going to get my slice eventually. And when you look at the casting, uh, the, the people that were choosing the comics that would go on Comedy Central or HBO, they only had like three women. They were rotating through the process. And I could introduce you to about 15 really funny, incredible stand-up comics that never got their shot. Um, so and, and also women had to be uh, they wanted a they wanted a gimmick. You know, you had to uh, you had to look a certain way. You had to sound a certain way. So if you were kind of an, a normal gal up there delivering well-structured jokes, they didn't quite know what to do with you. Um, and I would say that competitive environment. Yeah, I talk about this in um, our world. It's called media group theory. And I think because the white males created the structure within which we work they look mm -hmm. for something same or similar and if you're not you need to have a shtick a gimmick something that's really yes yeah it's not fair <laughs> it's not yeah fair. And, and it's well it, and it hurts the actual art form because uh you know if you get somebody who's gimmicky or up there you know uh it's all it's all attitude and swagger and not jokes um, are, are not good storytelling, you know, whatever kind of comic you are, then it kind of can, um, it, it, it harms the profession overall. And, uh, and, it, and it goes this, the same for being a business development executive. Very few women are in this field. And um, it's hard. You have to have, uh, you know, tough skin and you, and you have to uh, understand uh, relationships are important and of course when men own those relationships you know most of the CEOs and the GCs and all of these people in the you know the, the CFO they're mostly men right so if you're not yeah if you're not selling business through those relationships and you're not playing golf with that guy every week you're gonna have to figure out a way to get their attention and I always believe that it's innovating service solutions is the way to get their attention and to show them, hey, I can impact your bottom line. You know, my service providers can really change your world. So you, you have to really be special. You have to work harder and you have to stand out from the crowd. And, and you know, I think so in a way it's, it's good to be a woman in that it kind of forces you to think outside the box. Well, I think that you've addressed a number of challenges that, um, those who do understand the difference between business development and marketing face all the time. Those who don't, I just don't even think they can go there yet. But when you do know the difference between the two disciplines and that they are in fact disciplines, um, mm -hmm. then you have to learn as much or more about your client's business or industry as they, so that you can relate and they can trust you as an equal, a partner, not a vendor. And I think that you, I, I know you personally, so I think that you do that very well. And I can imagine that you basically um, virtually hold the hand of every client. You know what I'm saying? So client service is yes. huge when it comes to business development. In fact, I believe it's the number one um, business development strategy on the planet. Excellent client service. Yes. Coming back. So, um, yeah, yes. that's great. And, and But isn't it odd that, that firms are still focused, especially law firms, and a few of the national accounting firms are still focused on uh, visibility? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you know that's, 
I, I was hoping you'd go there because I get a little provocative on that end, but I don't want to anger everybody out there who's um, a marketer. I mean, your job is very valuable. It's super important, but there's a time when you transition to the next phase and attorneys just aren't going there for the most part. They just want to read about themselves in publications that other lawyers read. And I advise strongly against that. I say it's time to press the flesh, you know, shake some yes. hands, get to know us questions ask meaningful questions yes so, yes what would you say is your proudest professional accomplishment it can be in comedy or in the law firm or on those days where those two get confused <laughs> <laughs> well I would say yeah I would say it's twofold I would say that my proudest accomplishment in the professional services world was creating my own company partner track academy uh, and that came to me after working with a national accounting firm for a while that really did not have a BD program. They were focused on visibility and they were very similar to law firms in that respect. And I had, I, the reason why I was there was because I had kind of left the professional services world to pursue uh, writing. I had a I had a screenplay that went out and got 40 meetings and my agent was like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta focus on this. So I did, I, I left that world for a while and was just focused on the writing. And uh, so when I found myself at this firm, it, it wasn't really where I wanted to be. I realized there was a huge need for firms to understand they must re-engineer themselves. They must take that marketing department, take what's great about it, but then augment and, create a business development structure as well, you know, have a sales process, uh, understand how you're going to market, understand how you're supporting clients in the various industries and the various functions. So I did that for about four years and it was great. And now I'm working for one of my clients, Horvitz and Levy was a client. Oh, um, and, and let me say that, yes, what's great about Horvitz and Levy is that they are a solutions-based lockstep law firm. So they really are very different in how they approach the market. They are uh, providing solutions to clients and are very nimble. They respond quickly. Very, very different from most of the law firms that I've seen out there. And that's because we're focused on appellate law. So we can yeah. be solutions oriented. So, and I would say my other uh, accomplishment yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm very lucky. Uh, my other accomplishment that I'm, I'm proud of was the, the, the script that went out that got 40 meetings and um, decided to leave my job. And uh, during those two years, I also got a rewrite job during those two years. And my agent called me almost every day. And every writer in Hollywood would tell you that's a huge accomplishment when you're, when you get to a level yeah. where your agent will call you every day. <laughs> They're not calling me for a couple of years. Yeah, so that was exciting. So for those of us not in that world, that creating a perspective right there was helpful. Um, I would imagine that just getting 40 meetings was exciting enough, but um, not knowing that having your agent even call you is a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> I well, I learned a lot from that process. I mean, yeah. I thought that, you know, when we, when we went out with the screenplay, I mean, the very next, they have a process where they go out with the screenplay and then the next day people start saying, I want to meet this writer. And, um, but my maid, my manager and my agent had never had a client to get 40 meetings off of one screenplay oh, before. Wow. And yeah, and, and it was, it was, it was a fun screenplay. It was kind of actually based on my life as a professional services person, but I, I changed her career. I made her a, a water park designer, but uh, <laughs> it was about her, her working, 
she was working 24 seven. And um, so, but it, it was an exciting time. Now, I didn't understand that uh, when you go to these meetings, sometimes uh, you're meeting people who it's, it's fascinating, meeting people who are in charge of multi-million dollar movie budgets who are uh, maybe have not even seen all the romantic comedies that had influenced me. Like I, I would tell, I remember telling one of the executives that Tootsie was my favorite romantic comedy in terms of structure. And, and this person said, well, I've never seen Tootsie. <laughs> I was like, wow. Wow. So I don't think I know anyone. <laughs> You're in charge of yeah. uh, these decisions and you've never seen. Yeah. So that's awesome. So I want to say, um, I personally adore you. You're fun. You're funny. You're smart. You're quick, quick on your feet. Quick oh, thank your you. Um, um, I could just, you know, I, I would love to put you up in front of crowds of people. Just, you know, even to talk about business development in the law firm setting. I think you'd be. Well, the checks in the mail, Susan. Checks in the mail. You're just you're <laughs> paying you to say all this. <laughs> oh, I take Venmo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. So who has been your biggest inspiration or inspirational mentor or someone who moved you? I would say that would be my high school drama teacher, Jan Gibson, because from her, I learned um, about multitasking and understanding deadlines and operating with a sense of urgency. You know, when you're putting on plays and musicals, there are a lot of moving pieces and no matter what happens, the show must go on. And I have found um, in my other career, when I run into people with theater backgrounds, they are wonderful at project management. They have light behind their eyes and they are get it done people. And I, you know, I loved what I learned from her. Um, that is so, so I look awesome. for people. I can mm -hmm. see that at play in the law firm setting, everything you just described, especially uh, yes. active, you know, client centric law firm. Uh, you're having to do that dance and not miss a step and, you know, the song's mm -hmm. almost over. Yeah, that's awesome. So how nice of you to give her a shout out. Um, is she still around? Do you mind if I ask? Um, she is, but I have not spoken to her in a while, but uh, that makes me think I should probably call her. <laughs> yeah, sure. She'll want to hear yeah. the uh, shout out. So I personally, yeah. you know, I believe that women should lift each other up. There are too many, uh, you know, I, I attribute the bullying to, to insecurity on the part of the bully, but there are too many women mm -hmm. who put each other down. So I'm trying to shine a light on those of us who lift women up. Um, that said, how do you advise other women to best support each other in business? I think honoring the truth. And that's, that's hard to do. It's, it's hard to speak up when you should speak up because of our competitive environment. It's also hard to not play into what your own little social circle is doing. Um, we can sometimes honor fluff when it really shouldn't be honored. And we can sometimes uh, become negative when we shouldn't be negative. So you have to kind of take a step back um, and say, am I honoring what is true and what really helps people, lifts people up and doesn't tear people down? And, you know, and, and, and that works. I mean, I, I'm trying to be like comprehensive in that because you can also hurt yourself uh, by, by um, giving too many kudos to what's fluffy and not right. really of substance. 
And so it's, you think, oh, I'm being positive and I'm saying, but, but, you know, you can, you can also be helpfully critical and not being, not tearing someone down. And so I think women, I agree. We need to learn that skill. Totally. I want to give a big Yahoo to that because, um, sometimes being it's it's not what you say it's how you say it so being open honest and direct is more valuable to me than having a cheerleader on my team so i don't want someone yes. to yes me to death i really want critical thinking and i want critical uh you know solutions give me a solution to this i didn't recognize that problem you did or maybe i thought yes. this was good work why do you disagree tell me why i think that's important mm -hmm. yeah so exactly. i try to create a safe place for people to do that um, on my teams and when I work with people I, I want them to feel free to be open honest and direct and, and have all of our exchanges be authentic right yeah right yeah well what has been your biggest challenge or setback and how did you overcome it Brenda I think it was hard when I left the professional services world to pursue the screenwriting. And then after two years, I got a rewrite job, but after two years, the money ran out and I had to go back to work. And I wound up, you know, taking a position that was really more marketing than business development. And that was painful because not only was I not as interested in the marketing aspect, I knew that the marketing piece wasn't helping my partners get where they needed to be but I was uh, I was one person inside of a large national team that was completely focused on marketing gotcha. and you have a few yeah when you have a couple of partners who who get it and understand what you're talking about that's great but you still are operating within a national team where you really can't get much done. I found that so frustrating. And that's what led me to the idea of Partner Track Academy saying, you know, sometimes a firm just needs an outside person to, to say, look, here's what you're doing right, but here's what you're missing and here's what you could be doing better and here's how you do it. So my challenge kind of led to my creation of Partner Track Academy, which, which was probably my hardest thing I ever did. <laughs> Awesome. So win or learn, never lose. Um, I have to tell you as a BD person, um, it's really, really tough sometimes when you're in a position where the person to whom you report or the people to whom you report or the firm culture doesn't really get the difference between marketing and business development. And you're trying to say, you don't need to spend all that time and money on bragging about yourself or your firm or when we can just go learn more about the client and help them solve their problems and you, you'll actually grow your business. So it, it does depend at the end of the day what they're looking for. Um, of course, right. that's what we do with clients, but being in your position where you're a BD person expected to market or to do marketing, um, it's tough. It's tough trying to explain to them, you know, this is not going to help you as that would help you. Um, trust exactly. And, and, and there are different kinds of resources. And even with, you know, uh, I would say the reason why the law firms are so far behind is because they keep putting people in these positions that are, you know, purely marketing people, and they are missing the BD piece. And so they wonder, they scratch their head, and they think, hmm, why are we not getting ahead? And like, well, you've got to have the right resources. 
So yeah, I've seen that a lot where someone is a, a junior marketing person and then they get promoted to business development manager. Huh? How does that happen? Yeah. Apples and oranges. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and then they ask their, Oh yeah. And then I see where they've asked these marketing people to go and coach the attorneys on how to sell. And I'm like, well, where's the credibility when they've never <laughs> sold yeah. them? You know, I mean, I don't, you know, what are you doing? Why would you do that? It's not great for that person. They, they're, they're stuck in a role that they don't belong in. And then it's not good for the attorney because they're not going to be learning anything really of value. So right. that's just, uh, that's just weird. <laughs> you know? It is, it is. And, and right now we're still faced with the stigma that the word sales, you know, has in that world. Um, they don't understand. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about a sales process where one person walks away feeling icky. Instead, we're talking about <laughs> a mutually beneficial sales process as a trusted advisor or a business partner who knows the law where both people walk away feeling great about the exchange. Yeah, exactly. Totally exactly. You're, you're not really selling. You're not really selling anything. You're just helping. Right. You know, you're just right. helping. Yeah. So I always say create a safe place whereby the person um, on the other side of the table knows you, likes you, trusts you, and wants to work with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So tell us a surprising fact about you that you, I mean, gosh, you know, this whole podcast has been one surprising <laughs> thing after another. I don't even know if there's something left. Um, but tell us a surprising fact about you that we maybe don't know. Okay, well, uh, one of my weird hobbies is um, I collect Marx Brothers memorabilia, and I am a huge fan of the Marx Brothers, and uh, I force family and friends and uh, <laughs> children to watch the Marx Brothers movies when they're over at my house, and uh, my nephews were very reluctant at first, very reluctant. One of them even cried. <laughs> <laughs> because he didn't want to watch a black and white movie but uh but i've i've converted them now and uh yeah so well, uh, that i you know when i was about nine years old uh in houston there was i mean i'm from a small farm town below houston but the, the we watched the houston television and there was somebody there who had the great idea to have this little matinee movie thing that would come on right after the Saturday morning cartoons. You know, I'm of the era where on Saturday mornings, that's what you did. You watched cartoons. And, uh, and then it would go right into these Marx Brothers movies. And they're not that many movies. And he just kept rotating them. So for about two years, I watched a Marx Brothers movie every Saturday. And my parents liked the Marx Brothers movie. So they were encouraging me. And uh, yeah, I started very early. Um, and, awesome. you know, it's funny because, well, there, it's a, there, there, it's so refreshing to watch those movies now with other people who enjoy them because they're, they're very spot on. I mean, you can see, uh, things that are, you know, the, the kind of, uh, uh, they, they question authority and they, they, uh, they take a look at the social classes. Um, they're, they're on point so, today, you know, yeah, relevant um, messaging still. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you kind of have me curious. I may have to go um, check out Netflix or see where I can find one of those. Yes. <laughs> March down to well, my, my favorite is Animal. Yeah, my favorite movie of theirs is Animal Crackers. Uh, but a lot of Marx Brothers aficionados will tell you that Duck Soup is their masterpiece. <laughs> but I could spend a couple of hours telling you why that's not true. But I don't. I don't want to get into that now. 
<laughs> I think, no, Brenda, I think I want to hear that over a glass of wine in LA next time <laughs> in San Francisco. I would love to hear more. That sounds good. Well, um, can people connect with you on social media, maybe LinkedIn, or how do people reach you if they want to reach you? Yes, uh, I have a Twitter account at Brenda Pontiff, and uh, we, of course, uh, are also uh, at Horvitz and Levy. We are on Twitter, and uh, my email is bpontiff at horvitzlevy.com, and uh, would be glad to speak with anybody who's got questions about uh, converting from a marketing-focused environment to one that encompasses business development as well. Well, I think that's fantastic that you put yourself out there for that. I do uh, personally have some ideas that I would love to discuss with you offline after the podcast. I think that um, you're fantastic. We, we relate on a lot of issues, especially that one you just <laughs> touched upon. Uh, I think more people need to hear that message and understand that take time to really look at this person's background to see is this where her strengths are or his strengths are and is it a fit to put them in a BD position when they were a marketer or a writer or I think that the lawyers just mm -hmm. lump us all into one big group and it's not fair to them that they do that and it's certainly not fair to us. I know. I agree. Yeah. We'll talk agree. more. You, we'll you talk know, more. You just, yeah, absolutely. Well, you're awesome. You know, I think that I can't wait to chat with you next. Thank you for tuning in and sharing a little bit more about you. Uh, things that we did not know, even things that I did not know. <laughs> you are fascinating. So everyone, thanks. Well, thank you so in. much, Susan. Thank you for being here, Brenda. And thanks for tuning in, folks. Have a good day.